0: see his faithfulness is in this transition that we've had with our worship pastor who went back to North Carolina months and months and months ago now. And just the faithfulness of God to carry us through this incredible time where we have just been meeting with him regularly and just been so uh, grateful for that. We I have great news though. Uh, next week we're going to introduce um, our worship leader. We also have our department director, Zach, and then Ryan uh, is also now going to be our uh, part-time tech uh, person as well as amazing bass player and worshiper. But uh, we're going to present that team that our department is all figured out now. And we'll d- present that next week. And uh, But what a praise to God for that. <laughs> it's been a long journey, but you're going to be excited about it. <laughs> Guarantee you. I also just am so thankful for uh, the faithfulness of Mason. Uh, he has done an amazing job back there at the sound booth, but he has stepped up throughout this transition to serve and to help and to uh, put in way more hours than needed. Mason, thank you. He's even helping train right now, uh, our new person, and, and just an amazing servant of God. We're so grateful for you, Mason. We're in the middle of a series called Happy, 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 and this week, as I was pondering that, I was wondering... Where do the happiest people in the world actually live? You know? Is it in Qatar, the richest country in the world where the average income is over a hundred thousand a year? Uh, or maybe the happiest people in the world live in Japan, where they have the the average longest lifespan of any people, or perhaps in Canada, our n- neighbors to the north with the highest percentage of college uh people who have gone to college. You know, over 50% of the people. None of those, though, make it in the top 10. And, of course, the U.S. didn't either. We were not even in the top 30. Excluding Disneyland, which is the happiest place on Earth. Okay? But where do those happy people live? Well, 7 out of 10 of the countries are found in Latin America. That includes countries that have a pretty low... Uh, standard of per capita income, pretty lower on on the averages of life expectancy and education, and yet some of the happiest people live where there's even longstanding civil war and unrest, like in places like Guatemala. But these Latin countries smile and laugh and experience joy within their relationships and their families. Like none other. I experienced this firsthand as we lived in Costa Rica back in uh, 89 and 90. We were living there as missionaries and we had uh, met a lady who actually became a- an employee at our home uh, by the name of Isabelina. Isabelina was 35 years old. Her hands revealed her years of manual labor serving other people. But Isabelina was almost always happy. She would always show up at our door. She would have a roll of cookies that she would have bought for our kids, even though she didn't have a lot of money. And she would, first thing she would do is hand them out to the kids. And she was just this meek and humble, amazing person. And, uh, that's her. Uh, that's actually our house where she had brought her kids. You can see like our little wedding photo up there in the upper left hand corner. But she's and I wanted to develop a relationship with her. And so we asked over and over, what can we do to come? We want to come over to your house and meet your family. And she would say, Oh, no, you can't come to my house. My house isn't very nice. You wouldn't like my house, you know. And we begged and we asked for like six months. Finally, she allowed us to come over to her daughter's quinceanera, a 15th uh, birthday party. Big deal. She warned us over and over again, you know, keep your expectations low. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy what you see. Well, so we prepared for the worst. We got out. She was happy to see us. We went into her house and noticed right away that her house was quite nice. It was simple. It was just a wood-framed home. It had three bedrooms. It had a bathroom. And she was on about five acres of lush tropical land. And we thought, wow, this is nice. It was very simply decorated with just a couple photographs on the wall, a picture of Jesus, uh, and some very simple furniture. And uh, she kept apologizing the whole time we were walking through her house, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm thinking, what are you sorry about? And she said, you know, you'll say, ustedes tienen mucho en Estados Unidos. In other words, you guys have a lot in the United States, and you guys are just used to so much more, and you're so much happier. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just ask you a couple quick questions. First of all, how much do you owe the bank on your house? And she said, what are you talking about? Said the bank. She's like, no, this is my house. It's passed down and it's my place and my land. How much do you owe on your land? Nothing. How much do you owe for anything that you have? Nothing. Pays cash for everything. Said, so you have a three bedroom, one bath house on five acres of property, completely paid for. You are wealthier than the average American and happier. And she's like, No, no, no way. (laughs) She thought I was a liar. But am I telling the truth? That's absolutely true. And if we were to die today, most of us would not be worth, net worth, as much as Isabelina. Why why did Isabelina think we were all so rich? Because she looks at the illusion of wealth, right? That we wear it well, we drive it well, we live in it well. And, And Isabelina... Being poor and less educated, she was a housemaid. She was a better financial manager than most of us because she spent less than what she earned. She paid cash for the things that she owned and she generously gave even in the midst of her own poverty. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10 says those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Isn't that true? You know who wrote that particular verse? A guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon was a very wealthy man. He would put Warren Buffett and Bill Gates to shame. I mean, the Bible says that he drank his drinks out of like these golden goblets and and silver plates. And not only did... They have to wash them after each use. They had to polish them and get them ready for the next sip. You know, this guy was indulgently rich. And and yet the wisest person, the wealthiest person, wrote this down. He said, having a lot doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happy, right? And he wrote the book of Proverbs, much of the book of Proverbs. And Jesus talked a lot about money as well. Because he knew how connected it was to our heart to our motivations, to what we did with our time. And maybe you've heard the saying, money talks. Have you ever heard that before? And I believe it, money talks. It's talked to me a couple times, and it says, bye-bye. <laughs> and then we often sing our song back, don't we? I owe, I oh, off to work I go. <laughs> so if money is talking and we're talking back to it, what does money normally say? I mean... What does it say? Well, it says a couple things. First of all, it says, serve me, doesn't it? Serve me, serve me. Chase after me, work night and day to get more of me. Put me before your family. Use me to impress your friends. Bow down to me and I'll make you happy. Money says, serve me. It also says, spend me. Spend me, man. The more you have, the happier you will be. You know, even if you don't have the money right now, it's all right. I'll find a way for you to get what you want. Because you need it, and you need it now. And you deserve it. I mean, look at all the other people who have stuff. You ought to have some stuff too. Even if you don't have the money, go ahead and take out a loan. It'll be some, some you'll just have to do a little bit of time, right? And then the last thing it says is hoard me. And you don't have to be wealthy to hear that one. Money says, I will make you powerful. Money and power go together. The more you have, the more powerful you'll be. The less worries you'll have. And by all means, don't give it away. Just store it up, store it up, store it up for a rainy day. And uh, that will will help you. And those are the things that money often says. Serve me, spend me, hoard me. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 about those particular ideas. He said this in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, I've got to make a choice. I can't serve both equally. I'm either going to serve money and use God or serve God and use money. Now, money in and of itself is not good, and it's not bad either. Matter of fact, somebody who has the right kind of heart as an instrument of God, who has a lot of money, can be a very, very instrumental person in doing good in the earth. So it's not a bad thing. It said the love of money is where we have to be really careful, right? So instead of listening to what money and this world would say to us, we need to learn to kind of tell money what to do, not let it tell you what to do or how to live your life but to begin to tell it how to respond. First, here's the first thing that we should be telling our money. Spend less than I make. Spend easier said than done, right? But that is something we need to get really commanding and telling our money. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state, of your flocks and herds. And of course, in that day, obviously everybody's a rancher or shepherd. And so God's saying, know the state of your flocks today. He'd probably say, know the state of your stocks, right? But he's just basically saying, you need to know what you have coming in and you need to know what you have going out. You need to know. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to money. Do you ever find yourself saying, I just don't know where all my money goes. You know, that's a giant warning light that something is wrong. Maybe you're not keeping good records or you haven't sat down to really develop a clear budget. A budget is, is, is for many, is a four-lettered word, but it's actually not a four-lettered word. It's really just you telling your money where it's going to go rather than it telling you where it went. You're going to end up spending more than you make in less you know how you're spending your money. And so maybe some of you are going, man, this is way too practical. Does God really talk about stuff like that? Absolutely, he does. Proverbs 1.5 says, plan carefully and you'll have plenty. But if you act too quickly, you will never have enough. You'll never have enough. We gotta have a plan. Financial freedom is not based on how much you earn, it's based on how you spend it. You think, well, that's not true because if I had a lot more, I'd be way better off. No, you wouldn't. If you made three times as much as you do today, but you keep spending more than what you earn, you're going to be in the same hole you are today. See, we've got to learn how to live on less and know where our money is actually going because we're developing a habit and that habit will be either, one, always having more coming out than's coming in or the habit of planning what we do and making sure, making sure that what we have coming in is the line that we draw and we're not going to spend more than what comes in. A budget is important. Unfortunately, our spending is so often controlled more, though, by what? By media, right? By advertisements and, uh, rather than by the Spirit of God. Maybe you've done this, I've done this. You bought things that maybe in the moment that later you realize, you know, I didn't really need that. Have you ever done that? I certainly have. Whenever I go to Costco, I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I mean, you walk around. I never knew I needed so much stuff until I walk around. I see all this high-end gear everywhere. I just went in for a piece of pizza and I come out, Lord, with this huge basket of stuff that's called impulse buying. You know, the only way I've found that you can go to Costco and get out and be ahead is you go in, don't bring in a basket, bring about five or six kids with you and hit the sample aisles and just, just e- eat samples and say, kids, that was your dinner, okay? <laughs> Notice it says plan carefully. Plan carefully and you'll have plenty. But if you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. You'll never have enough. And that's where a lot of people live, isn't it? Never feeling like we have enough because we haven't ever really sat down to develop a plan. All right, the second thing that we need to get really good at telling our money is stay out of debt and live free. See, our society, capitalism, is geared around people going into debt to buy things. I mean, it actually is. That's kind of, their, their, we count on that. The government counts on that. And to get people to buy things with money they don't have, there needs to be some well-oiled kind of advertising machine that goes behind that, right? They don't want you to think about it too much. They just want you to feel it, to sense the need, and the need is now. And so they create the sizzle on the steak and the hot fudge dripping off of the ice cream. And, man, cars never look so good than when they know how to hit it with the right Camera and the right lens, driving off. And man, if I just had that. John Ortberg, he writes this: When we take our children to the shrine of the golden arches, they always lust for the meal that comes with a cheap little prize—a combination christened in a moment of marketing genius: the Happy Meal. You're you're not just buying fries, McNuggets, and a dinosaur stamp. You're buying happiness. Their advertisement said convince my children that they have a little McDonald's-shaped vacuum in their souls. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in a Happy Meal. I try to buy off the kids sometimes. I tell them, just order the food, and I'll give them a quarter to buy a little toy later. But they cry, I want a Happy Meal. And all over the restaurant, people crane their necks to look at the tight-fisted, penny-pitching skate of a parent who would deny his kid a meal of great joy. The problem, though, with the Happy Meal is that the happy wears off, right? And then they need a new fix. No child discovers lasting happiness in just one. Remember the Happy Meal we had in 1999? (laughs) What great joy I found there. No, Happy Meals bring happiness only to McDonald's. You ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that silly grin? 20 billion Happy Meals. That's why. See, when you get older, when you get older and you get smarter, your Happy Meals just get more expensive. Right? The things we think will make us happy, the things that we buy. John Orberg was right, and some of the brightest minds in our nation make enormous salaries to create advertising designed to overcome our resistance to appeal to our weakness, and convince you and me that we need their product. Guess who else is in the uh, advertising business? Banks. They have a product line called credit cards. MasterCard, Visa, American Express, and if you feel you're really important, they'll even send it to you in gold or platinum. Make you feel important. The banks who market these cards spend $567 billion per year just in their marketing costs to get those cards in our hands. Proverbs 22 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. We consumers have become slaves to our financial institutions. We borrow money not because it's just so dang easy, but also because we never have to say no to ourselves. We can just go out and get the things that we feel we need, that others had built that need in us as an immediate need and something we need. And yet, as soon as you get the credit card bill in at the end of the month, it sucks the zippity right out of your doodah, doesn't it? (laughs) Now, this might be a good place, just to mention our Financial Peace University class that uh, we teach several times per year. It's, it's actually taught via DVDs with Dave Ramsey, an expert in money. And in this particular class, you'll learn about managing money, building wealth, and getting out of debt. Lots of other things as well. The last class we did, eight families attended. And just with those eight families, the combined uh, families, over 10 weeks they attended, they shed $72,000 in debt They cut up 11 credit cards and added $6,600 to their savings. Great results for eight families. And our next class will be sometime in January. We'll begin advertising for it in a couple uh, weeks and make sure and sign up for it. It's life-changing. So if if we're going to tell our money what to do and we're going to spend less than what, what we earn and we're going to stay out of debt, then how are you going to buy those things you actually want that are larger right? than, than a Happy Meal? Well, it's called savings. Saving regularly so we can pay cash. See, how we manage our money matters to God. It's a spiritual thing. It's not just a practical thing. God wants us, as those who call ourselves followers of Christ, to learn how to be good stewards, not of our stuff, of his stuff good stewards of his stuff proverbs 21:20 20 says the wise man saves for the future and proverbs 13:11 says money that comes easily it disappears quickly but money that is how gathered little by little will grow how does money grow little by little that's how it grows You need need to set three goals. You need to have some spending goals, some savings goals this year, and some giving goals. And now, and the reason I'm mentioning that is right now, before the whole Christmas push, it's coming, folks. We need to think through this stuff and prepare and think about it and make a plan. What am I going to give? What am I going to spend? How am I going to save? Saving is the principle of setting aside a little bit regularly, weekly or monthly, and then allowing it to build over time, a snowball effect where we have what we need for later. I, I save a little bit each month to develop an emergency fund. I save a little each month because I know Christmas is coming, so I try and save all year round uh, in a little, in a little uh, uh, checking account for that and then uh, save a little bit for when my car breaks down, because that happens a lot. It's got 247,000 miles on it, you know? you got to account for that. So, a couple things. Here's the last thing that we need to tell our money, is to give generously and joyfully. See, the plain truth is that just becoming financially free where we have what we need and we're saying no to ourselves and we're saving for the future and our spending is being cut beneath our earning power, that that those are great things, those are important things to really experience happiness and to experience kind of that noose being taken off of our neck. But if we do all of those things and we never learn to give, we're we're going to cut ourselves short. We're not going to really experience the fullness of God's grace in our life. I've met many people who've managed their finances really well, way, way, way better than I ever could. And and yet they've never learned the joy of sharing and giving and being generous. And uh, you can see it. You can just see it in their life. You see it in their relationships. You see it in their heart. The Apostle Paul wrote this to a materialistic Corinthian society in his day. He said this about the giving of their money. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work So how do you give? How does the scripture teach? To give generously, yes, but to also give joyfully and intelligently with a plan, deciding in your own heart what it is you will do. Not long ago, I met with a guy in our church who came to me and said, Mike, I've been living on a pretty strict budget. I have saved for the things that our family needs for the future. I've gone through Financial Peace University. I loved it. I've just never really started to tithe. Giving what the Bible calls a tithe is 10% of our income back to God. That's a huge step of faith, isn't it, to do that. And he said, you know, I've just never really bitten off on that part of it. He said, but I'm here to tell you that I feel like God has been speaking to me. God is on me, and God is is saying, you've been a great steward in all these other areas, but you haven't done that yet. And so he said, I'm here to put it on record. I'm going to step up and start doing that. And then uh, just a couple... Uh, Days ago, this this was back in the summer, a couple days ago, he called me and he said, man, I just wanted to report back to you. God has been awesome. God has been faithful. I don't know how, but somehow, you know, we have done better in these last few months than we have done in a long, long time. God said, put me to the test, and God came through. I love those stories because I hear them over and over again in people's lives. This particular passage in Corinthians goes on to say, Now he who supplies, that's God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Here's the principle, and this applies to every area of our life. Whatever you want God to bless, you should put him first in. Whatever you sow to is what you will reap. In the measure that you sow, you will also reap. If you want God to bless your family, put him first in your family. If you want God to bless your career, put God at the center of your decision-making as regarding your career. If you want God to be first or bless your relationships, put him first in those relationships. And if you want God to bless your finances, put God first in your finances. See, there's more written in the scripture about giving and money than any other subject. You know why? It's not because God needs our money. What it is, is that God wants our heart and he knows that wherever our treasure is, wherever that might be, that is where our heart is going to follow. See, when we make up our minds to give back to God, to give him tithes and offerings, the money, what does it go towards? We're not just making ourselves happy by being a giver. We're actually joining God in his work in the world. What is God doing? Well, he's helping other people say yes to him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to not experience eternity. And so the proclamation of God's word goes out all over our community, all over our nation. And that, that's part of what, what our tithes and offering goes towards, is helping people say yes to God. It also goes towards growing people up in their faith through discipleship and through classes and helping people get into the scripture. It goes towards planting new healthy churches like the one we just planted in Airway Heights a couple months ago. And by the way, They've been running about 150 people every week for the last several months. there in Airway Heights, and Jacob and Kim and their church are making a great difference there. Or our giving goes towards feeding people who are hungry, clothing people who need it through service can and the need has never been greater. I don't know if you've read in the papers or the news, but they're cutting government spending. And so those in need, those who have been dependent upon government's uh, Programs and stuff, those have been cut, huge. And there's never been a larger demand right, than right now in the area of our own giving out to our community. Or our giving goes towards things like our work in Senegal, Africa, where we went into a predominantly Muslim uh, village of 1,000 people with only two converts. And today there's a, a little church meeting there now with 50 that know and live by the grace of Jesus Christ in their life. See, it's bettering other people's lives and it's joining God in his work. God says he cares about our heart. He cares about our life. Jesus said this about happiness. Scott mentioned it a couple weeks ago in John 10.10. The thief, that's the devil, the wicked one. He comes to steal. This is what his plan is for every one of us, every single one of us in the room. Because the devil's real. He's not just a little guy with a pitchfork. He's real. He comes to steal, to rip you off in your life, in your relationships, in your happiness, to steal and kill and destroy. And that Jesus said, But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full. That's a happy life, an abundant life. It doesn't mean everything goes your way, it doesn't mean you never have problems. It means that you know the God who walks you through every issue that ever comes up in your life. That he cares about every aspect of our life, including our money. And he sees that money for many, many people and many Christians, it's strangling them. It's cutting off their air supply. It's, it's, in, it's, it's being mismanaged in a way that, that we can't experience the grace of God in the fullness that he intends. So... Just as we close, I want to pray for us as a church. I want to pray for you. If you're in a financial deep pit right now, I want to pray for God's encouragement over your life. Pray for his inspiration. Pray that you have faith that you can get out of that place, that by God's grace, by God's grace and with your obedience, you can get out of that place and you can experience life and freedom and fullness in God's spirit because he will provide all your needs in Christ Jesus. Let's pray right now. Lord God, I just want to pray, Lord, that those that are just feeling the weight of debt, those that are feeling the pressure of spending more than they make every month and just trying to figure out how to close off the valve, those, Lord, who are experiencing even the discouragement that the wicked one tries to bring. Lord, would you lift that this morning, and we exercise our faith this morning, God, to trust in your goodness and your grace, that even though sometimes we make dumb decisions that gets us into trouble, Lord, you are there to help us, to breathe fresh life into our spiritual lungs and to give fresh vision to our spiritual eyes. And to help us get back to the scripture and begin to apply it into our, into our lives and into the area of our finances. And Lord, we're asking this morning, God, that you begin many people in a new trajectory of financial health and financial uh, peace in their life. Lord. Because it ties into our spiritual walk. It ties into our relationships. It ties in to so many other things. Lord, would you bring that, bring that hope, bring that game plan, bring your grace to bear today. Lord, thank you that living this life is not just all up to us, but we have a heavenly Father that cares for us, loves us, provides for us, and brings us the light we need in a dark place. We thank you, God, for your goodness and grace. We ask, Lord, that for each one of us, you would help us, Lord, to listen to your voice in the area that you would want to put your finger on an area that relates to how we're interacting with money, Lord. And would you help each and every one of us apply it in a way that would honor you? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.